to PwC IFRS Talks, your source for all things IFRS, technical accounting matters, business issues, current standard setting and regulatory updates. I'm your host, Andrea Pride, and today I have a very special guest, the outgoing chairman of the International Accounting Standards Board, Hans Hoogevorst. Welcome, Hans. Yes, good morning. Good to be here. So Hans, you've described yourself before as an accidental accountant. Obviously, no one as a child wants to be an accountant or a standard setter when they grow up. But could you tell us a little bit about your route to being the chair of the IASB? Well, that is a, a, a very unusual route indeed. Where shall I start? Actually, my, my first contact with accounting was in my first job when I worked with a, um, a small bank in Washington, D.C. in the United States. Actually, I had a purely commercial function there, and I was a little bit bored with it. So I, I asked um, my manager, uh, is there nothing I can learn? And they gave me a financial analysis course in which I learned reading a balance sheet and an income statement. And that was my first contact with, with accounting. And that came in um, many came in handy many decades later. Uh, later, when I became uh, chairman of the um, IASB, uh, but in between, I did very little in the way of accounting. So I, after that uh, period with the bank in the United States, I moved back to the Netherlands, started working for the Ministry on of Finance, but working on macroeconomic stuff. Then I entered politics first as a staff member, and uh, and then as a politician itself dealing in many um, of these functions with um, financial matters but again more like budgetary matters rather than these micro uh, matters uh, accounting uh, and when i stopped uh, when i left politics 16 years later to become the chairman of the uh, the dutch financial conduct uh, authority basically securities regulator, but also more broadly a financial conduct regulator. That is when I uh, started learning about uh, accounting again, because I was also a member of IOSCO. And this was just the, the, the time, 2007, 2008, when the great financial crisis broke out. And accounting also came in the picture, and uh, especially in the picture of the uh, prudential regulators who thought that uh, especially loan loss accounting was not up to par and that there was too much fair value accounting. And this was the time that the um, uh, ISB was on a lot of fire, also in the Financial Stability Board, of which I was also a member. And uh, very soon I, I got the idea, well, this is a typical case of the messenger being shot. Well, I knew what the real problem was, which was the undercapitalization of the financial sector. Uh, and uh, actually the prudential uh, capital requirements were very misleading because they could make a balance sheet that had only uh, 2% of capital uh, because that was really the case in, in, in that period in many banks or even less uh, could make it look like 10% capital. And so I took it upon me to defend the accounting as not being at the source of the problem and that one thing led to another. I, I became the co-chair of the Financial Crisis Advisory Group with uh, Harvey Goldstein. And that was a group that was convened to help both the FESB and the ISB in uh, yeah, um, dealing with all the politics around uh, accounting at that moment. And from that, uh, I was asked to 
if I were interested in succeeding uh, David Tweedy. And before I, before I knew it, I was chairman of the ISB. Excellent. I think I remember you saying that you watched David Tweedy being under attack and instead of wanting to, to run away from that situation, it quite appealed to you. Yes, yes. Um, I thought it was interesting. And, you know, what, what the, that crisis really um, impressed on me was the enormous importance of very proper international standards of which accounting are at the basis. So I thought, well, this could be really very meaningful work. Uh, and that's what drew me to this position. Okay. So looking at your time on the board, 10 years, it's, it's quite a stretch. So what sort of changes in standard setting have you seen evolve over your term that, you know, that you've driven while you've been there? Well, it's indeed a long stretch, 10 years. I've never been in one position that long. Uh, so it must have uh, kept my interest for all these 10 years because I never, I, I never had a boring moment. Well, you know, I basically started out with um, finishing up what David Tweedy had not been able to complete, the, the big four standards, IFRS 9, insurance, as you know, <laughs> on, which you, <laughs> on which you worked personally very hard, uh, leasing and uh, revenue. Uh, revenue was the least political one, but leasing was very political, a lot of uh, resistance. Uh, IFRS 9 uh, financial instruments always in the keen interest of banks and uh, insurers and then of course insurance was also extremely political and well I, um, I won't be here when it becomes uh, effective in 2023 uh, but the job is basically done uh, so that was the kept me busy for quite a few years um, but as we were completing these standards, we focused more on presentation rather than new recognition and measurement requirements. And that's when, uh, you know, the, uh, the, the whole disclosure framework uh, discussions became very important and uh, culminating in the primary financial statements project, which is not finished yet, but where we are you know, making a lot of progress and which has always been at the wish list on the wish list of investors. And I think we're doing some very, well, revolutionary work there. So that work, I guess, will continue over the, the next term of the next chair. But you, you referred to accounting as the messenger. Um, and in your recent speech, you also talked about describing economic reality as faithfully and neutrally as possible. And, and that sounds all well and good. But what makes that so hard? What did you make? What did you find most challenging as chair? And I suppose related to that, what are you most proud of? Well, what is challenging about accounting is that uh, yeah, it sounds simple to um, to describe economic reality as faithfully as possible, but there are many who have a strong interest in profit or loss numbers not being all that volatile, even when economic reality is volatile. Uh, and insurance that has been the main threat in all the discussions with the insurance uh, industry, it has also been a, a, a huge discussion with um, the banks. Do we measure at fair value or do we measure at amortized cost? I think we, um, you know, we reached a good uh, compromise there. But um, yeah, the, um, the, the actual um, financial statements can look very different depending on the measurement technique that you use. 
so it's not as simple as it might uh, seem at uh, at first instance. And well, and then your second question: which standard am I most proud of? Well, I think the so if you look at revenue recognition and leases, those were improvements, and also IFRS nine were improvements on existing standards that were at least not from the Middle Ages that were already working more or less. Uh, if you look at insurance, uh, that is really a big leap forward because currently insurance um, uh, standards around the world are very, very different. Some still work with historical cost for the measurement of uh, the insurance liability, which is of course extremely misleading in the current climate of uh, low interest uh, rates. So uh, the, the revenue recognition in an insurance industry is a disaster in many cases. In, 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 in some cases, uh, insurers are even allowed to uh, recognize deposits for, in, for investment activities as income. Can you imagine that a, a bank would do that? So uh, it, it, it is really a bit of a chaos and often of very poor quality which is also the reason why most insurers have to give a lot of non-gap inf information. And I think this standard, uh, it's not perfect, but it is a huge improvement on, um, on uh, current uh, uh, accounting uh, in the insurance industry. Well, you know that I agree with you that IFRS 17 is my favorite standard as well. <laughs> yeah, <I can> <laughs> um, what are you what do you wish you'd had more time for what are you leaving unfinished in your time in your board and passing the mantle on um where do you still see the biggest gaps or deficiencies after these big well uh, you know uh, prim I, I just mentioned primary financial statements which is all about providing more structure to the income statement primarily uh and uh you know that is unfinished business when i'm um when i'm gone I don't really feel uh, bad about it because you know you can only do so you can only do so much and uh, I think we gave it a very good start and I think this is going to be completed as a successful standard. Uh, but yeah, that is still unfinished business. There are also you know bigger questions in accounting which are very hard to resolve. Uh, for example, what do you do with intangibles? Uh, which uh, yeah, it is very clear when you look at modern business that intangibles are increasingly important but they're extremely hard to measure uh, it's also very tricky to recognize them on the balance sheet so you know the, there there's a lot of work to be do done there although it will be very tricky to come up with good answers we've seen unprecedented times recently um particularly with the pandemic and i'm curious to your views on how well you think the existing body of standards has held up to to the challenges of those times well um i think in itself pretty good although it must be said for example ivers 9 you could say that there have been few complaints about uh, the, the, loan, the new loan loss uh, provisioning uh, requirements. Uh, there were a lot of people who thought, well, in a crisis, they might become extremely volatile and uh, might be pro-cyclical. Pro the truth is, though, it, it has not really been tested because governments have just guaranteed everything in their grandmother. 
uh, it, 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 uh, it, it, it is incredible what's going on. Uh, governments are uh, basically guaranteeing uh, a lot of loans made by uh, banks. They're providing a lot of fiscal support and uh, central banks are very busy printing uh, money as, 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 as needed or not needed even. Uh, so it is, we are living in a bit of an artificial economy at this moment and uh, in which everything is held up by uh, extremely unconventional monetary and fiscal policies. So I really think it is too early to tell if, for example, IFRS 9 will hold up well. Okay. In the recent agenda consultation request reviews, you've indicated that the the PIRs, the post-implementation reviews of, of a number of standards, is, is going to be one of the priorities. Um, how do you see the role of PIRs for standard setting, given that it takes some time for the actual tests of the standards to, to come? Yeah, I think our due process handbook says it has to start within two or three years. Mm. You might wonder if, if that's not a little bit too early. Uh, I mean, if there are really severe problems, they often uh, already uh, come up about while you're implementing the standards and, and you need a quick fix. Uh, for the deeper questions about the standards, you probably need a little bit more time, such as, for example, IFRS 9. Uh, that, that time for PIR is already coming up. Is there enough information? I, I'm not sure. Uh, so, yeah. I think in itself, it's very useful to have PIRs. You have to look back and see, has it worked as intended? Worked as intended, uh, but people also want a stable platform. Uh, so if you do it too early, it also becomes very difficult to make uh, the changes. Yeah, and the costs of changes at the early stage, particularly when there's just been the cost of implementation, exactly. can feel quite daunting as well. Yeah. 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 Okay, let's look to the future a little bit. Um, how do you see the role of electronic reporting in future standard setting? Well, I think there, it's already there. Uh, I think, you know, with IFRS, so much information has been, with IFRS and the globalization of the economy, people are collecting, investors are collecting so much information all over the world um, that, you know, many analyses are first um, happening uh, on an electronic basis, and only when they, uh, when investors look at or, or have identified outliers, both positively and negatively, they might look further and uh, delve into the paper st uh, statements. But uh, you know, I think most of the, I think 60, 70, perhaps even 80 percent of the information is now being consumed uh, digitally. Uh, so that was also one of the reasons why we felt it was very important to bring more structure in the income statement because people don't just look at profit or loss. They obviously also want to look at subtotals. And if those subtotals are not clearly defined, you cannot really uh, efficiently um, uh, compare them electronically. So the more mass consumption of financial data, the more important the structure of these financial data become. And do you think we'll ever get to the stage where companies go straight from their ledger directly into some taxonomy onto financial statements that it becomes completely electronic? Or, or do you think there'll always be other things happening in between? 
I don't know, to tell you the truth. I, I, I haven't really, uh, I've heard of, of this as a trend for the future. Uh, it will undoubtedly all go much faster than in, in, in the past, but I suppose you always need some work in between. But that everything is becoming faster, uh, that, is, uh, that is for sure. And that everything is becoming more electronic is also for sure. So we have to be uh, vigilant. And, and work on these issues, work on the taxonomy, uh, which is very important for this as well. So that's why we have invested a lot of time in that. The, the tricky element there is getting people who understand the taxonomy and IFRS standards all at the same time. I think yeah. it's a very which, niche set. Which is not uh, simple. Yeah. So the question that used to be on everyone's lips but has sort of faded a bit uh, in the past that's now beginning to grow again is, do you think we will ever get convergence with US GAAP? Well, if, I don't think convergence would be the right um, term if anything is going to happen, because what I don't foresee ever is that the FASB and the, IF, and, and, and the ISB, as in the past, will come together, have joint meetings, joint papers, to see whether they can get their uh, standards closer together. I think that's of the past, perhaps with some uh, minor uh, exceptions, but ultimately I think it will be just a choice for the United States, are we going to adopt or not, rather than converge. Um, and whether that could happen, I, I don't think it's impossible that it will uh, happen. Not It's not in the cards right now, but for uh, American multinational companies, you know, it's just for ease of doing business, it would be so great for them if they could use uh, IFRS uh, for all their uh, subsidiaries. They already have to use it for their subsidiaries around the world. And if they could just have it in one process with uh, their uh, American act activities, it would save them a lot of money and time. So uh, from that perspective, I think it is bound to happen perhaps sometimes when we are perhaps in a in a bit more of a simple world than we are at the moment. So there's been a lot of discussion in recent months about the role of sustainability standards and the role of accounting for climate related risks and all things green and ESG. How do you see those worlds coming together? Well, obviously, uh, you, uh, you must be aware that uh, the IFRS Foundation, the trustees are looking at the possibilities of the IFRS Foundation um, erecting a, um, a a board that would uh, deal with these issues. There's clearly a huge demand under among investors to have global standards on these uh, issues uh, as well. And uh, we'll see how, uh, what what how that uh, pans out. There is a lot of enthusiasm for a role of the IFRS Foundation. At the same time. You know, sustainability issues are extremely, if, I just gave you some examples of where accounting can be, uh, financial accounting can be uh, political, political uh, sustainability is even more political, so it will be tougher to get global standards, I, I believe, for that uh, uh, very reason. But there is a, it makes a lot of sense to put it under one organization because sustainability issues can become acutely financial. Uh, we have already seen oil companies having to impair uh, exploration assets because they don't think they can, with their business model, can earn them back over time. So 
there is a big interplay between uh, sustainability information that might be a little bit more forward-looking and the actual fin uh, financial statements. So uh, we have just created a management commentary practice statement, an update of the management commentary practice statement, which is a vehicle for um, uh, providing sustainability information. Uh, so uh, yeah, there could be a lot of synergy between uh, a sustainability board and a financial accounting board. So that's why I believe it does make sense to try to uh, create it under the umbrella of the IFRS Foundation. It will be interesting times ahead. Absolutely. So looking to your successor now, um, Andreas Barkov, um, what do you think will be the biggest challenge for him and what advice would you give him? Well, you know, um, from my personal experience, I know it is what really helps for a board is if they have a clear sense of purpose and a clear theme for their uh, for their work. So in my first uh, in my first period, uh, I was very much focused. The board was still fo focused on completing convergence with the United States and you know those four big uh, completing those four big standards. And when that was done. You know, I, I really spent a lot of time thinking about what what's next, and that became the better communication theme, much more about presentation, as I just uh, explained. So I guess that you know, Andreas would uh, explore with his board what is the theme that we are going to have in the next five years. Uh, well, that is that is not easy to do. Uh, a lot of work has been completed. I just mentioned intangibles. I know that uh, Andreas is very much interested in uh, in intangibles, so perhaps he can find a theme uh, there. But that's basically up to them. I, uh, you know, I didn't uh, try to rule from my grave, so I I left it uh, open, and uh, that's that's up to the new board. And what will you miss most? What I will miss is what I've been missing the last one and a half years during, <laughs> during this terrible COVID crisis, my colleagues and my uh, staff. <laughs> you know, it's a, it's a great organization, as you know personally, uh, very friendly organization, very multinational, uh, a lot of interesting people from all over the world. I also miss the traveling, which uh, can be a pain in the neck and is very tiresome sometimes, but you know, it brings you everywhere and, and everywhere there are interesting places to visit. So yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll miss especially that international dimension. Yeah. And last question, what's next for Hans Hugervorst? What's coming next in your journey? Well, that, that I don't know yet. Uh, perhaps uh, directorships, but you know, I've had so many unexpected turns in my career uh, thus far uh, that I really don't, uh, you know, I've been, uh, because of the sensitivity of the job, I've not been able to look around for new positions. So that all remains to be seen in the coming um, months or so, but uh, it's hard to predict. It's, it's very hard to predict. And so I'm, I'm not even going to do so. <laughs> and undoubtedly, your life will take another round. Hans, so I think that brings me to the end of my questions. I thank you very much for your time and sharing your insights and your thoughts with me on today's podcast. I wish you all the best for whatever is next in your career. So thank you for joining me. Okay, thank you very much for asking brilliant questions. Thank you. Thank you. And to all our listeners, thank you also for joining us. Um, thanks for listening to just stay safe and happy accounting.
the preceding programme was brought to you by PricewaterhouseCoopers LLP. This content is for general information purposes and is not a substitute for consultation with professional advisors.